many books. When he first got the cancer diagnosis back in 2021, here's what he said. He said, God has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows that I cannot know. And therein is my hope and my strength. Now, Tim and his wife, Kathy Keller, wrote a book on suffering. And that book was real encouragement to me when I was working on my doctoral project. And one of the themes of my doctoral project was what happens during times of suffering in regard to our spiritual growth? What are the factors that lead us to grow or to pull away from the Lord? Out of that came a book that I call A Journey Through Suffering. And so just mention it this morning in starting in case it can be a help to you. And I got a few copies up here. If you want to pick one up, uh, all I'd ask is just make a donation to Pastor Training International, which is the organization that I use when I travel. I'll be going to Zambia hopefully in the fall. And so anyway, my point is that we go through times of suffering and difficulties. And a part of my project was having some different people from New Hope share their own journeys. And you'll find some of those stories that I think will be encouraging to you if you're interested in the book. If you're not, don't worry about it. Uh, You can always get it on Amazon as well. So we are in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, which talks about the hope that we have. We're going to take a deep dive into the hope we have for hard times. Let's start by reading the passage. You can either listen along or you can read it in whatever version you have or follow on your electronic device. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as is written for your sake? We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, as we go through this passage we see that Paul employs a literary device called rhetorical questions. You know what a rhetorical question is, don't you? Don't you? Yeah, you got it. No answer is expected because the answer is obvious. And 
The Apostle Paul utilizes these rhetorical questions to drive home this message of hope. And these challenges give us the reasons for why we have hope. We're going to look at the passage, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time looking at the context of Romans 8. So it starts off and tells us life is hard. What shall then we say to these things? And the natural question is, what are these things? Well, these things are what the Apostle Paul, as God's Spirit leads him, what he's writing about in all of Romans 8, and in fact, in the entire book of Romans, but particularly Romans 8, the realities that we live with, you and I live with every day. Life is hard, but God is good. Life's a struggle, but we have hope in the midst of the struggle. And so let's go back and pick up and see how this theme goes back and forth and back and forth in the passage. So, for example, this hard-knock life is described in Romans 8.20 when it says, creation was subjected to frustration. So the state of the universe, the state of the world is that of corruption, that of deterioration. It leads to what we would call futility or frustration, the opposite of hope. Futility means that no matter how hard we try, things just aren't quite right. For example, buy a house. Maybe it's even a new house. Pretty soon there are cracks in the foundation and the walls maybe shift a little bit. Then there's scratches where... The kids or the grandkids or you, even moving in, scratch up the wall and there's problems. You get a car, leaks oil or clutch goes out, tires wear out. Everything is wearing out. Everything is breaking down. It's the universe we live in. In fact, in 822, it says the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation itself groaning because of this irreversible process of deterioration and decay. The earth is dying and it's groaning in response. Not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly. I don't know about you, but as soon as I get out of bed, it happens. Oh. Yeah, groaning. And we groan all day. Jobs that are hard. Unfulfilled dreams. Relationships that just don't work the way we hope that they work. We groan because marriages sometimes suffer. We groan because children grow astray. We groan because friends sometimes disappoint us. Just groaning, groaning, groaning. And as believers, those of us who are believers, a part of finding hope is recognizing where we don't find hope and we don't find hope in our own efforts. We're going to groan, we're going to sigh, we're going to be heartsick. 
We feel the hurt. We recognize sin both within ourselves and within a world and a culture that is saturated by sin and drips worldviews and pressures us and pushes us every day, every hour of the week. Our own bodies, our own bodies feel decline. Hair falls out, stomach sticks out, brain blanks out. We sag, we expand, we wrinkle, joints get creaky, arteries harden, heart slows down, eyes grow dim, bones break, muscles weaken. One of the hard things Kathleen and I are going through right now is our parents are all in their 90s and just going through all these kinds of things physically. and We're all going in that direction unless the Lord takes us earlier than that. And a midlife crisis or an end-of-life crisis is when we become aware of this futility and this frustration of life. And if we're listening, we're awakened and aware of what's going on. But sometimes we don't listen. Some people don't Listen, there are unbelieving alternatives. We can rage, we can challenge, we can revolt, we can fight. But it's a losing battle. The alternative from fight is flight, and another unbelieving option is to disengage. To disengage from suffering, to use something to numb the pain, whether obvious things, drugs, alcohol, or just the kinds of things of consumption, addictions, whatever it is. In the midst of all these things that go on within us and around us, Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. The recognition of the futility of life should invite us. It does invite us. Jesus invites us in the midst of being pushed and pulled to come to him. And so that word that best expresses the confidence that we can have as a believer when we come to trust in Jesus is the word hope found five times in verses 24 and 25 as we finish up talking about the context. Listen, five times here in verses 24 and 25 of Romans 8, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently as we wait for Christ. This is the hope that's proclaimed then in verses 31 through 39. God is for us all the time, verse 31 says. If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, what difference does it make if we have people or forces who oppose us outwardly, inwardly, human, invisible powers? 
What difference does it make if God's on our side and he is? Now we experience opposition from many sources. Circumstances, people, Satan, ourselves, the world. And it's significant. It's significant opposition. It's real. The point of the passage is that God's favor, the hope we have in God, outweighs all disappointment, all opposition that is against us. Here's an illustration. Think of the old-fashioned balance scale. And on one side, we put a pile of feathers, and that's opposition, those forces against us. On the other side, God drops his anvil of the hope that we have, and the feathers go flying. That's the picture of how God's hope completely overpowers the disappointment we have when we recognize the futility of life, our own sin, and the sin that pervades all around us. So the issue for you and me this morning is, do you, do I, do we really believe that we can trust in God's hope and God's love or not? And are we living like it? And some of us will in the dark places within our minds say, well, well that's, that's for other people, not for me. And that's one of the tricks, one of the schemes that Satan uses against us that somehow this promise of a hope is for everybody else, but it's not for me. No, it is for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? It is for you. No matter what your background, your situation, what you come walking into the doors with this morning or listening online in your kitchen, no matter what, it is for you. I promise. God promises, actually, which is a lot better than my promise. God is for us. It's more than a theological statement. And he's proved it. He says in verse 32 that God has shown us he's for us. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It's an argument what we would call from the greater to the lesser. That is, if God didn't even spare his own son, how will he not give you and me hope? He's on our side. He's already given us his best, his greatest, his dearest. His most precious possession, it's like this. If somebody gave you a diamond and you ask for the box and they ask you for the box, would you not give them the box? And that's the point here. God has already given us his most precious gift, the gift of his son. How will he not give us what we need in life that is less? He's already given us the greatest possible gift. That's what we're celebrating in communion in a little while this morning. Therefore, we can count on God to give us whatever else we need. This is where the rubber meets the road. But it's not more things. 
Not more stuff. It's not the fulfillment of our dreams. It's not even our best life. Because the best life is God's life. In us and through us. And so, if we need strength, he's our refuge and strength and ever-present help in a time of trouble. If you need a friend during the darkest hours, he's the best friend that we can have. If you need direction in life, then the Lord invites us to trust in him for that direction. And you've got it. We have his word, the Bible, to give us that direction. If you need comfort, it says the Holy Spirit is our comforter. When you lost someone, something important, he's the comfort that we have and need. And this is the hope that we have. It's a hope when condemnation comes at us, verses 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who accuses us? No accusation comes from at least three sources. It comes from Satan, first and foremost, and his demonic horde. In the book of Job, you remember? What does Satan do? He accuses Job and says that Job is only trusting in God for what he can get out of God. He's the accuser and he acts in a similar manner with us. Over in the book of Revelation, it says that the accuser accuses night and day. Satan himself is the accuser. And he stands before God's throne to accuse you of every flaw, defect, sin, shortcoming, weakness you have. He's a a liar and the father of lies. People also accuse us. Some of those accusations are false. Some of those accusations are true. And so when we're falsely accused, we can take comfort in the truth of who God is and walking with him. When the accusations are true, we're not left there. When our own consciences accuse us, and that's the third source of accusation. When our own consciences accuse us, we're not left there alone. By ourselves. No, what does it say? It is who who justifies? God who justifies means to declare not guilty, just as if I'd never sinned. Who is he that condemns? Verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So accusations come. Yes, Tom. You did that. But Tom, George, Jill, Andy, your own name, you're justified in Christ. You're forgiven in Christ. 
The penalty of sin has been paid because God's the judge, Jesus is the son, is our lawyer, and no condemnation can stick. And then verses 35 through 37, there's love or hope when the worst situation happens to us and lists a whole number of situations. Now, Paul wrote this during a winter in Corinth, and he's reflecting and God's working in his life. In a very short time, he would die as a martyr. And extreme suffering would come upon the church there in Rome. We know from church history that Christians were especially selected for awful kinds of things that would have happened. Paul would be possibly beheaded by a sword or an axe. Original readers of this letter would be persecuted. We know that some Christians served as human entertainment in the Roman amphitheater, clothed in hides of beasts, torn to death by dogs and other animals. Real people. Because they trusted in Christ and followed Christ and were accused of being against Rome. Some were crucified, others were set on fire as human torches. that, That was what was going on in the background. And sometimes the trials, the persecutions, the situations get very heavy and very difficult. Some of the places that I travel outside of the United States, we know that there is severe persecution. I think I've told you before that every pastor that I've ever talked to in India has suffered some kind of persecution, whether verbal persecution or whether being thrown in jail or whether being beaten. And there are places around the world where worse things happen. In the U.S., Our persecution is often people that accuse us, that say things, that mock us, that seek to push us in some way by belittling us for following Christ. It's real. I mean, it it also hurts. And we experience uh, troubles and trials and hardship. An opposition. And the point of the passage is the implied question is who can defeat us? And the answer is nobody. As it says, we are more than conquerors, or one way the original Greek puts it is we are hyper conquerors, over conquerors. I don't know about overachievers, but over conquerors because it's in Christ. We go forth with our heads held high, not because we hold them high, but because we're sons and daughters of the king, a part of his kingdom. And we have a secure hope, verses 38 and 39. Passage I've already read. It tells us all the situations, whatever happens, neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, present nor things to come, powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation we'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
one of Satan's primary schemes is to try, if it were possible, try to separate you from the love of God. We know that one day that all things will come under the sovereign headship of God. And so with that in mind, if that is the ultimate goal, then Satan's picking and prying and trying to separate us from what is best and good and right and true. Quite a bit. Death has not, will not separate us from God's love as hard as it is to deal with. I read a story about someone who decided they wanted a little different type of tombstone. Instead of the death, the dates on the tombstone being birth and death, like normal, they said they wanted the dates born, date, born again, date, transferred, date. Because death doesn't separate us from God's love. It's merely the continuation of the life that is started in the here and now. Brings us into his presence. We're transferred. Death can't separate us. Life can't separate us. And one of the questions I had as I came to this passage is, why is he mentioned life? How would life separate us? from the love of God. Well, of course, we all have choices that we make every second, every minute, every day. And those decisions we make, those choices we make, either bring us closer in alignment with God's will and God's life, or they separate us from the life that God wants us to have. How about angels and demons as we have been studying and thinking about the spiritual battle for these last weeks. If you haven't listened to all those messages or been here, go back and listen and think about the reality of a spiritual battle that's going on all the time, all around us. And he said, even the ferocious battle that's happening invisibly cannot separate us from the love of God, not even the devil himself. Your present situation this morning, this day, this hour, whenever you're listening to this message, whatever it is, no matter how bad it is, it cannot separate you from God's love. So why would you separate it? Why would you feel that it has somehow pushed you down beyond where you come up from? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, maybe you're in a bad situation. But it's a situation. God is with us. No matter what the situation, no matter how dark the hole. You may be struggling, may not be where God wants you to be or where you should be, but you're not separated from God if you're continuing to proclaim him as your Lord and Savior. 
Neither things to come, real or imaginary, can separate us from the love of Christ. Neither can the future, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. This is the hope that we're celebrating this morning in communion. As you prepare your heart, your mind, take a second. To ask yourself, do I know the hope that I have this day, this hour? Are you trusting in Jesus and him alone? If there's things you need to bring before him, bring them before him. He knows, he loves you. Prepare your heart, your mind, your soul for the hope that is here, a hope that lasts a hope that brings strength for whatever you're facing today. Yes, worship team, come forward. Ushers, come forward as we're preparing to pass out the communion. If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we invite you to join us in communion that we share together. We'll be passing out the elements, celebrating the hope that we share, the hope of the gospel that Jesus has secured at the cross. It's for you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Take a piece of the bread as it is passed. Take a cup, and then I'll lead us in a few moments in the taking of the elements. Let's continue to worship through communion at this time. encourage you to reflect in that way, that uh, the cares, the burdens that you have, that you would give them over in prayer in a way that recognizes God as your firm foundation in Jesus Christ.
There's hope when we feel hopeless. There is love when we sense that things are extremely difficult. There's a payment for sin. This is a little bit of what Jesus meant. When it says the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this whenever you eat it. In remembrance of me, take and eat. In the same manner, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me, take and drink. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the payment of sin on the cross for the justification we have when condemning thoughts come into our minds, for the hope we have when things feel so hopeless. Help us to be aware each and every day of the reality of who, who you are, what you've accomplished for us, and let us live in victory and not in defeat. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and join us in worship? We're going to sing a song of of celebration, of victory. Um, So please stand and join us in our God.
Thanks again for being here to worship this morning. I do encourage you to go forth with that strong confidence, that hope of things that we are sure of through Jesus Christ. There are folks available to pray this morning if you'd you'd like to join them. Otherwise, please enjoy some time of fellowship. Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. God bless.